Y'all doing okay? All right. I want to show you a picture this morning as we get going. This is a, this is a family. In, um, it's a family and some other folks from the Dutch resistance in uh, the 1940s in Harlem, Holland. This family was known for loving people really, really well. They loved kids especially. They loved caring for special needs kids. They loved caring for missionaries' kids when missionaries would go on the field or whatever they, would, they were known for caring for their children. The community that they lived in, in in Harlem knew this family as a family who loved Jesus. And their love for Jesus uh, spilled out in how they loved people, how they loved the community. So it wasn't an accident or a surprise to the community that when the war began, and uh, in the 40s especially, the plague of Nazi Germany began to take over these towns and cities of, of Europe. And we, of course, remember, or at least know the history, that uh, Hitler began to, to hunt down Jews and anyone that was standing in his way. He wanted to exterminate a whole group of people. So this family did what was natural to them. They, they knew Jesus. They made him known through how they lived and the things that they did. And so they began to hide people in their home. Five people at a time, 10, 15, as many as 30 people at a time, they would hide in the walls of their home, in the attic, in hidden places. In fact, they referred to their home as the hiding place. It was the place where they could be a blessing. They could be Jesus' hands and feet to those who were being hunted and persecuted. Came a time in 1944 when they got caught. And uh, so the Gestapo comes to their home. They arrest 20 people that day in their home, many of which were the family, the Tin Boone family. Uh, a little interesting piece is they didn't get everybody. There were still four or five people hidden in walls that actually made it out, and some of them survived the war that the Gestapo didn't find that day. But 20 people in that day, in February 1944, were arrested. The father, his name is Casper, he was a watchmaker. He was taken off to a concentration camp by the name of Schnevigen. He died in 10 days. The children were taken off. Two adult children that we see here in this picture, Betsy and Corey, were taken to Schnevigen as well. And then they were placed on a train, sent to a, a concentration camp by the name of Ravensbrück, which was actually close to Berlin. It's infamous for how uh, horrible the conditions were at Ravensbrück. They were treated like animals. They were put in a cattle car, and they were so close together that he couldn't breathe. They had no water. They had no, no uh, humane conditions whatsoever, and they were shipped to this place close to Berlin. They were kicked off the car, and they were made to walk from the railroad station to Ravensbrook Concentration Camp, and all of the townspeople would look at them for a moment, then they would turn their back on them in shame. They finally found their way to the concentration camp, and they were made to sleep on the ground, and it didn't matter the conditions, whether it was rain or snow or whatever the case may be. Their blankets would be wet. And they were waiting on a barracks to be finished, and they thought, all the prisoners thought, as soon as we get in these barracks, we'll each have a, we'll each have a bed. And 
one of the sisters, Betsy, began to have a cough and she began to get sick. And they thought, you know, when, when we get in the barracks, there'll be a nurse and they'll be able to take care of Betsy. And well, they finally got in the barracks. The barracks was created for 400 women, but 1,400 had to live there. And they were asked to sleep, they were told to sleep on a little square. And there was supposed to be four women to a square, but instead there was nine that actually slept on that square. Face to feet, shoulder to shoulder, they were, they were stuffed in like sardines. And you can imagine the horror of these inhumane conditions and the, just the dis, disgusting uh, elements. <laughs> There's chaos. They're biting at each other. There's just a survival element that is something like none of us can even fathom or imagine. And yet Corey somehow snuck into this uh, concentration camp a little Bible. And it was her and Betsy's prized possession. They loved the Lord with all their heart and they loved his word. She, she smuggled it in between her shoulder blades on the train. And somehow when they stripped her, not of just her clothes but of her very dignity, she found a way to hide that Bible. In fact, when it came time to be, to be searched, she stood there with the Bible and they searched the girl in front of her and they searched the woman behind her, but they didn't search her by God's grace. And she took that little Bible into these barracks and they began to read the word of God in these barracks. And they began to see women come to know Jesus and what otherwise would have been an unbelievably horrific experience, the hope and mercy of Jesus was light in that dark place because of the word of God. And it was one day that Betsy and Corey were trying to encourage each other. You can imagine just how awful this was. And Betsy said, Corey, get the Bible out and let's read again and encourage each other. And so I want to come to this place. This is from Corey's book called The Hiding Place. She says, I glanced down the long, dim aisle to make sure no guard was in sight. And then I, I drew the Bible from its pouch. It was in 1 Thessalonians, I said. We were on our third complete reading of the New Testament since leaving Snevigen. In a feeble light, I turned the pages. H here it is, here it is. Comfort the frightened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all it seemed like it was expressly written to Ravensbrook. Go on, said Betsy. That wasn't all. Oh, yes, oh, yes. To one another and to all, rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's it. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her and around me, the dark, foul-aired room, <laughs> such as, I said, such as being assigned here together. I bit my lip. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. Such as what you're holding in your hands. And I looked down at the Bible. Yes, yes. Thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. And thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, said Betsy. Thank you for this room. Thank you for this very crowding in here. Uh, since we're so packed so close that many more will hear. She looked at me expectantly. 
Corey, she prodded. Oh, all right, thank you for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betsy, went on serenely. For the fleas and for, and Betsy stopped her and said, I'm sorry, Corey stopped her and said, the fleas, wait, wait, that's too much, Betsy. There's no way that even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. Doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place that God has placed us. And so we stood between piers of bunks and gave thanks for fleas, but this time I wasn't sure. I was positive that Betsy was wrong. Interestingly enough, a little while later, Betsy realized, as she heard the guards speaking outside, they realized that the reason they were able to even have the Bible in the barracks, the reason they were even able to open the Bible and have Bible studies with the women, and many women come to know Jesus, and the hope of Jesus come through his word, the only reason that was available and, and possible was because the soldiers didn't want to go into the barracks because of the fleas. They wouldn't come in because of the fleas. And so it afforded them this opportunity to, to open the word of God, to share the word of God, to be a blessing to all these women who literally were about to face their death. See, the very thing that Corey was struggling with saying thank you God for was the very thing God wanted to use to bring glory to himself, bring hope to people in the middle of an unbelievable, horrible circumstance. And it just makes me think this morning, what's the very thing in our lives that we're struggling with, that, that we're broken with, that it's hard to say, God, thank you for this thing in my life. Because listen, it could be that very thing in your life that God wants to bring glory to himself through. It could be that very brokenness in your story, in you, that God could use for his glory to bring hope and healing in Jesus. A little bit later, Betsy died in that prison. But before she died, before she died on the ground, she looked up at her sister, Corey, and she said, Corey, we have to tell them. We have to tell them. Corey said, tell them what? What do you mean? She said, we have to tell all these people that there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. The faith of these women is unbelievable. Church, the reality is we can't begin to give thanks this morning or any morning until we're thankful in our hearts. It's something that we do internally before it's a, something that we do externally. It's something that we have to have inside of us. It's something that we have to feel before it's something that we do. 2 Corinthians 9.15 says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul says indescribable, and for many of you this morning, you know Jesus, and you know that his mercy and his love and his kindness, his provision is something that you can't even begin to describe. He's so good. And so you're thankful in your heart and your spirit. Colossians 3, 15 says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see, before we can give thanks, we have to have an attitude of thanksgiving. It starts in our hearts. It starts in our hearts. Listen, we're going to do something a little different this morning. Uh, Everybody was given one of these little cards. Did you get a little index card this morning? Did anybody not get one of these? Raise your hand and we'll get one to you. Paul, Paul needs one in the sound booth. If you didn't get one, one down here in the middle, just raise your hand if you don't have one. We want to make sure you get one, okay? Also, if you don't have a pen, we've got those two. Just raise your hand and they'll bring around stuff that you need. There's one down here, guys. There's one in the middle. There's one over here. This is what we're going to do this morning. As a part of our worship, as a part of our time with the Lord, we're going to ask you to do this. Take that card. We're going to spend a couple of minutes sort of in silence where you can just begin to think about what you're thankful for. I want you to write down five things on that card that are indescribably wonderful in your life or maybe indescribably difficult in your life because what we've learned now through Corey Tim Boom is that we can be thankful even for the things we didn't know we could be. What are the things in your life that you're thankful for? Will you write down five things? And after you do that for a couple of minutes, we're going to ask you to, in silence, do that. And then we want it to be kind of noisy in here because we want you to share with your neighbor what are the five things in your life that you're thankful for. Will you do that right now? And we'll come back and worship a little bit more in just a second. had the privilege a few years ago to go to India. I had never been there before and got to go to a, a town um, outside of the city. And a metal gentleman, I think we have a picture of him, um, good looking fellow. He's got a great smile, doesn't he? He was beaming with joy. He had an amazing smile. He was a, he was a happy guy, full of joy. And if you look deep into his eyes, he's, I, I, I could see something even deeper. He, he knew Jesus. And so there was a deep uh, joy and peace in his life, but this picture doesn't completely reveal his whole story. Because this man is a leper. I'd never met a leper before. I'd read about him. Some of you are going, I didn't know they still existed. But the reality is, in the last 20 years, 16 million people have been cured of leprosy around the world. And in third world countries, there's still a lot of mystery and unknown about diseases like leprosy. So you can imagine the difficulty of this man's life. Leprosy, what it does is it it causes your appendages to become numb. And you can't feel them, and when you can't feel something, you don't protect it. And so naturally what begins to happen is they begin to get beat up and broken and Ultimately, they they fall off. And ultimately, it'll kill you. But that's not the worst of it. The worst of that disease is that at some point, this man's wife and children stood at a door, weeping uncontrollably. 
but not able to approach him because they couldn't take the chance of getting this disease. They didn't understand the disease. They just had to be backed away from him. And tearfully they told him goodbye to never see them again. Well, this man was healed of, of leprosy, though it took a toll on his body. And he came to know Jesus, and that's what shines beneath his smile and his eyes, is that he had a deep peace and a deep understanding uh, of the grace of God. We prayed for this man, and as we were about to leave, we began to pray for him, and, and I had my camera, and I noticed as we began to pray, he lifted his hands, his fingerless hands to Jesus. And so I snapped his picture. And I was just reminded, God, what is broken in my life that I've refused to lift to you and say thank you for? What's difficult in my life that's been hard for me to say thank you for? And this man led me in worship that day. He reminded me this week as I was thinking about uh, what we were talking about today of, of a story in the book of Luke where Jesus meets 10 lepers. I want us to go there and look at this together. Luke 17, verse 11. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. You see, by Jewish law, if you had leprosy, you had to stay a certain distance from anyone else that didn't have that disease. And you were cordoned off with with anybody who had the disease. You could be together, but you couldn't come close to anyone who didn't. So they lifted up their voices because by Jewish law, they couldn't come close. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. See, the reason Jesus was saying this was because it was the priests were the ones that, that basically said, hey, you have leprosy, and now because of your leprosy, you can't go home. You can't be close to people. You have to go away and be unclean. And so Jesus knew you have to go see the priest because they're the ones that, that would even say whether you're cured or not, whether you're healed or not. So he sends them to the priest. Go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not 10 of you clean? Were not 10 of you cleansed and healed? See, he knew they were. <laughs> then he says, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Interesting thing about this story is we don't know how far the, the temple was, the nearest temple, where there would be a priest. We don't know if it was uh, around the corner or if it was a half day's journey. We don't know. But what the story says is that somehow on their way to see a, a priest, they're all cleansed. They're all cleansed. And yet only one decides to turn around and say thank you to Jesus. The rest of them they realize they're cleansed and they perhaps run to the temple because only the priest can give them clearance to go to their families, to go back to their work, or go back to their lives. And it just reminds me how many people have blessed my life 
and helped me get to where I am and understand the things I understand spiritually or even in, in my career or in my family or my marriage. And yet I'm thankful, I'm grateful, but maybe I don't take time to say thank you. Andy Stanley says that we have to complete the loop. When somebody does something for us, we may be grateful, but being grateful is not enough. We have to show, express gratefulness. We have to complete the loop. Let me give you an example. Those of us with kids, anytime somebody gives your child, you know, something, a piece of candy or whatever, what happens? You know that awkward moment that kind of hangs out there and your child's looking at the candy like, I didn't want this, but I'll eat it. It's candy, you know? And then they just stand there and you're like waiting on your child to say something back to the adult. Just this moment hanging in the air. Half the loop is completed. It's incomplete. It's incomplete. And you you say, what do you say? You know what I mean? And they finally go, oh, thank you. And you're like, okay. Loop completed. We're good. See, the problem is most of us feel gratefulness. I think those nine lepers, I think they were grateful. As they're on their way to the temple, they're looking going, I've got my life back. I can get my family back. I can move on with my life. I think they were grateful. But they didn't express it. They didn't show it. It's not enough just to be grateful. We have to express it. We have to complete the loop. Giving thanks is inward. It's an attitude. It's also external. It's an action. It's something that we do, right? Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in word or in deed, in action, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Some of you say this morning, listen, you don't know the junk in my life. You don't know the bankruptcy. You don't know uh, the, uh, the uh, addiction. You don't know the divorce. You don't know the sin. You don't know the mistakes. You're right, I don't. But I would dare say that any of our struggles has been even as bad as Corey and Betsy's. And yet the very scripture that encouraged them to give thanks in that place, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In all circumstances. I like the way uh, the Phillips Bible puts Colossians 1.12. It says, you will even be able to thank God in the midst of pain and distress because you are privileged to share the lot of those who are living in the light. Even in the middle of pain and distress, you'll be able to say, Lord, thank you. It won't just be gratitude in your hearts. It won't just be an attitude of thanksgiving. It'll be an action of thanksgiving. God, thank you for what I'm feeling, and I give thanks to you, even in the middle of pain and distress. And one of the ways that we're going to give thanks this morning is to give back to the Lord. We're going to take our offering. I ask the ushers to go ahead and come. Something that's kind of a misnomer about offering sometimes, though, we, we kind of think, hey, um, I'm going to give back the 10% that's the Lord's. Let me correct us in some of that thinking, right? It's not the 10% that's the Lord's, it's all the Lord's, right? 100% is His. 100% is His. He's asked us to steward all of that 100%. And so we give back to Him in joy, in this action, not just an attitude of thanksgiving, but the action the process, the active nature of offering. And we say thank you.
for all you've given us. Let's give thanks this morning as we give in our offering. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that you've been so incredibly good to us. And we haven't faced leprosy and maybe we haven't faced a concentration camp. But many of us have faced broken hearts and broken lives and addictions and, and, and broken relationships and places in our lives where maybe we've even been hopeless. But God, where you are, it's never hopeless. So we give thanks today, maybe even in the middle of pain and distress, and we say, God, you are worthy of our praise. 100% of all that I am and all that I have is yours. We give back now in joy, and we say thank you for all you're doing and all you're going to do. We love you, Jesus. Receive this as our worship today in your precious name. Amen. Pray with me. Lord God Almighty, there is none beside you. No one. You are alone in your majesty, in your glory. You and you alone are worthy of our worship today. God, thank you for what you've done Thank you for who you are. And thank you that you accept this worship not because of something we've done, but something you've done. You've given your only son. And so you accept our worship. You accept our praise. You allow us to enter the holy place where you are boldly because of the blood of Jesus. And we thank you. Oh, how we thank you. In Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. In order for us to give thanks, we have to have an attitude of thanksgiving. Then we give thanks, right? But even that is not enough. I don't think it's enough. We feel it. We do it. But more than just giving thanks, we have an opportunity, church, to live thanks. To live thanks. That as we give all that we are, we live in such a way that honors Jesus. But I'll be honest with you, it's very difficult for us. <laughs> here's the reality. Here's the truth. We are an ungrateful people. Some of you are like, speak for yourself, young man. Here's, here's where it started. It started in heaven. It started in heaven with the lead worshiper. The lead worshiper, beautiful beyond, you, you can't imagine his beauty. You can't imagine what the gifts he had been given to lead worship in heaven. And in his heart, he became ungrateful. And then what took place after ungratefulness was pride. And God said, you can't stay here. And so he cast him out of heaven to the earth along with a third of the angels. And then what did he do? Then he influenced Adam and Eve. And then we see in Genesis that they become ungrateful. And then they become filled with pride. And then what do they do? They influence us. And we become an ungrateful people. It's in our nature to be ungrateful. God has to give us a supernatural ability through Jesus to appreciate his goodness. 
I, I, I think about this guy that's, that was on the screen. I think about the 10 lepers, and I think, I believe they were changed. <laughs> and not just for that moment. I don't believe it was just their skin that cleared up. I think their hearts cleared up. I think about the one that came back, especially. I think about uh, the one that I met. And I think they were thankful. And they didn't just say it. I think they lived it. I, I like this quote from Max Lucado. He says, the grateful heart is like a magnet sweeping over the day. I love this. It's like a grateful, a grateful heart is like a magnet sweeping over the day, collecting reasons for gratitude. A zillion diamonds sparkle against the velvet of your sky every night. Thank you, God. A miracle of muscles enables our eyes to read these words and our brain to process them. Thank you, God. Your lungs inhale and exhale 11,000 liters of air every day. Your heart will beat about 3 billion times in your lifetime. Your brain is a veritable electric generator of power. Thank you, God. Is your life like a magnet, just picking up whatever you could be thankful for and offering that to the Lord? Listen, I, I think there's something that's very interesting about thankfulness, about gratitude. I think it's directly related to our relationship with Jesus. You know, I've spent um, a lot of years around sound boards like the one in the back and in studios. And those sound boards have a unique ability where you can push a button and you can link two of those faders together. So you can just move one fader and when you move one, another one will move with it or 10 of them will move at the same time, whatever you want. It's kind of cool. Well, that's kind of how our lives work. In other words, Dependent upon how grateful we are, how thankful we are, if we're this thankful, then that's where our lives with Jesus will be. They're linked. They move together. If we're a thankful people, we will be a people of Jesus. If we're ungrateful, then our relationship with him, it'll be, it'll be negligible. I believe that with all my heart. In fact, it's kind of what uh, this says in Romans 1, verse 21, if you look at it with me. It says, for all the, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Now watch how this begins to just become a slippery slope. They didn't honor God and they didn't give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Do you see this downward slope? What this verse is saying that this is where we go. When we become to the place where we, we don't give God honor in our lives and we don't thank him. You think, when I think about Thanksgiving, it seems like sort of an extra thing. This verse helps us understand how instrumental it is to our relationship with Jesus. If we don't honor God, if we don't thank him, then we just start down a slippery slope. And this just helps us understand where much of our country has gone, right? At one point, we knew God. And then we chose to not honor him. We chose to not thank him. And then he's just given us over to our own lusts and our own deception. And it's been a slippery slope. Our lives are, are connected to the thankfulness. 
our lives in Jesus are connected to our level of thankfulness. If we're thankful people, if we're grateful, we'll have a relationship with him. If we don't, we probably don't have a relationship. A life of ingratitude leads us away from God. That's what that's saying in Romans. A life of ingratitude leads us away from God, but a life of gratitude. Even today, listen, no matter what you're going through, no matter what difficulty you have, that you need to raise to the Lord and say thank you. If we could just be a grateful people, if God would just lead us in this time of thanksgiving, we could truly take a deep look. I think, I think this morning you can look in your own hearts and you can say, Lord, where am I at in my relationship with you? I think it's kind of a gauge. We could just ask the Lord, Lord, where am I in my relationship with you? Have I been thankful? Do I honor you with my life and am I thankful? Depending upon how we answer that will tell us kind of where we are with Jesus. Colossians 2, verse 6 says this, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Listen, this verse is saying, this is what happens in a mature life of Jesus. When we're rooted in him, right? when we're established in him, when we're built up in him, when we have a maturity in him, we will abound in thanksgiving. It's just a part of the process. It's part of the process. Our level of thankfulness can determine truly our relationship with him. No gratitude, no life in Christ. Thankful. So appreciative. Just as a leper falls down at Jesus' feet and cries out, Savior, thank you. We recognize it in our hearts. It's an attitude of our lives, and then it's an action. It's something we do. Father, thank you. We sing. We say thank you. We tell people thank you for what they've given us and what they've done. And then we live thanks. We give thanks to how we live. Well, this is going to be probably my favorite time of the service as we close this morning. We're going to give thanks, and we're going to come to the Lord's table together as a people of Jesus. I'm going to ask our ushers to go ahead and come to the tables. One of the ways that we get to give thanks this morning is just as Jesus did. The Bible says that he gave thanks before he gave it to his disciples. We're going to do the same. Listen, I would just say this to you this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted Jesus to be your Savior, we want to invite you to take this with us. Take this with us. But if uh, maybe you're in a place where you're, you're just like, I, I don't think I know Jesus as my Savior, or you would even say, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm really just not sure if I know Jesus. Or maybe there's a situation going on in your life where you've kind of been caught up in some habitual sin, Maybe today is a good time just to sit it out and pray and say, Lord, would you help my heart to know you and love you more? But if you know Jesus, you don't have to be a, a partner with South City. If you know Jesus as your Savior, we would invite you to take this communion with us. So these ushers are going to serve you in uh, just a moment. And we'll just hold on to the elements and we'll take this together. And we'll pray when we come back, okay, guys? I just want to remind you this morning that 
This is a symbol of Christ's body. This is not Christ's blood. This is not his body. It's a symbol. It's a symbol, but it's something we take in seriousness because this symbol represents his broken body for us and his blood shed for us. It's that sacrifice that he made for us that we can be forgiven. We can know this holy God because of the sacrifice he made with his only son. Jesus' life wasn't taken from him. He laid it down for us. I'm going to read this scripture. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 says, The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your broken body. Thank you for the blood you shed for us. Lord, thank you that forgiveness can be known because of that sacrifice. And today, we proclaim your death and we proclaim our life in you because of that death. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. Thank you for your gift of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take the bread and eat. Verse 25 says, In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You may drink. As you can be seated. Ushers, you can be seated. Pray with me. Lord, it's hard for me to find words, honestly. It's hard for me to put in some sort of language that that is unspeakable because I could never say thank you enough for this life you've redeemed from hell. God, I'm unworthy. I am a sinner. I'm a rebel. I have walked away from you. And yet, Jesus, you have forgiven me even while I was still a sinner. You died for me. Thank you for your gift. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for giving me life. It's nothing that I've done, not of my works, not of anything that I could ever do. This is your gift to us. This indescribable gift. And so we say thank you. We say thank you from our attitude, from our hearts. We say thank you in our words in our songs, and Lord, we live, thank you, every single day. It's the least that we can do, is to live, thank you, for all that you've done and all that you've given us. It's in Jesus' precious and wonderful, most holy name we pray today. Amen.